Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about the power of relatability. Now, I always say that I am one of the most fortunate people in the speaking industry because I get to sit down and talk to industry superstars who are making things happen. And today we are joined by James Robolana. Hey, James, welcome to the show. What's up, Tom? Good to see you. Honored to be a part of this. So, James, we're going to talk about relatability and how it sort of fits in with credibility. And this is something that you talked about at the 2022 Influence Conference. You did a breakout session that was applauded by many. So I thought we got to get you on the show so everybody can hear what you talked about. So what are your two tips for speakers on the power of relatability? First tip, your credibility doesn't make you a good speaker. The way you tell your story about it does. Second tip, tell everyday stories. Well, one of those is a long tip and and one of those was a short tip. And we're going to unpack both of those. But for people listening who don't know James Robolata, James is a professional speaker and he speaks about company culture. And what he talks about is how curiosity really creates community. Because let's face it, in this world, we so quickly make assumptions about people when what we really should be doing is asking questions, being curious, and learning about them. Now, James started speaking full-time 12 years ago, and he began in the college market, but now he speaks to giant corporations, major associations, and universities. He is also married to another professional speaker, Tina Van Sternbergen. Now, did you guys meet because you were both professional speakers? Is this a is this a speaking love story? Uh, it is a little bit of a speaking love story. Tina Van Steenbergen is her name. And she and I met at a conference in Nashville, Tennessee, where she was working for a training company. And they saw me as a threat. They said, hey, there's a new speaker on the block. We need someone to go check him out to see if this guy is going to be an issue for us because our topics overlap. And she said, yeah, I'll go check out this chump. And uh, it turns out pretty good at what I do. Um, it turns out I was a problem for them just in a very different way. (laughs) You took Uh, (laughs) away one of their trainers and then she went off and started her own speaking business. And I guess this is the power of relatability because you guys seem to have related really well. You are the new parents of a bouncing baby boy named Rome. Yes, we are indeed. It is beautifully overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So James, let's jump into this idea of relatability and, and, and everything that you talk about. So your first tip was that your credibility 
doesn't make you a good speaker. What? What? Uh, everybody thinks, oh, I'm so credible. They'll love me. But you said it's it's the way you tell your stories that makes you a great speaker. So, so what do you mean by that? Let's dive in. Yeah, for sure. Let's break down the two. First off, you know, when we say credibility, I'm talking about your accolades, uh, the impressive things that you've done, the awards that you've uh, that you've written, the fact that you got published in Forbes five times, things like that, your titles that you've earned, the letters that come after your names, things like who, you know, uh, your education level, uh, maybe even some numbers that you've achieved your results, things like that. Um, and that stuff is very important. And when we say relatability, I'm not just talking about your accolades. I'm talking about why does that matter? And I'm talking about your title. It's what did you learn in your journey to get the title? It's not who you know. It's what do those people teach you? It's not your education. It's what are you doing with the knowledge that you gained? And yes, your numbers are awesome, but the relatability side of it is your process. And it's important to remember that I, I'm not out here crapping on credibility. Please be credible. Um. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we like speakers who actually have some credibility behind what they're actually talking about. So, so credibility is still important. But you are right in the fact that just because you have a Ph.D., doesn't mean you're going to be engaging on the stage. There's so much more than just having the knowledge and, and the credibility. So, so what do you mean then? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's the application of it. It's the way you tell your story about your credibility. It's bringing people into that knowledge instead of using it as a way to separate yourself from the audience. It's bad enough that you're already 50 feet away from them, illuminated and seven feet higher than them. We don't need to continue to create this much dissonance or power dynamics between us and our audience. I've done improv comedy for a very long time and my audience members are my teammates. Uh, they are the, they are, I'm yes ending them. They are yes ending me. Um, and I want them to feel that way from the beginning. I'm not here so that I can step on stage and say, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm here so we can step on stage and say, what are we going to create together? I got a few cool things, but I want to hear your take on it too. So oftentimes, especially when people start out, they, they really cling on to that, that credibility and those accolades yes. and, and everything. And it does sort of create the, the us and them. It's like, I have done all this stuff and you are audience members. So how do you then get from, I have done all this great stuff and I, I do have all this experience. How do you get to that relatability with your stories and, and take down the wall and lower that stage, if you will, so that you're seen as more of a peer, somebody who's talking with the audience, not at the audience. Yeah, for sure. I think it starts It starts with our introductions. I think if your bio that people read in the program beforehand is filled with your credibility, that's great. But I think your introduction sets the stage of what kind of experience people are about to have with you. Um, and so I think that's an initial piece that should people should be taking care of when they're having their introductions read. But once we're actually delivering our speeches, the, the first tip... Uh, is it maybe a little harsh, brother, but it's we need to get over ourselves, right? Like we don't have to continue to 
prove to the audience why we're there. We've already been selected. Uh, we've already been hired. Maybe we've already been paid. Um, so instead of feeling like we have to prove to the audience that we're there, let us just be, let us show up as a fellow human being who has slipped, who has struggled, who has fallen, who's gotten back up, who's put their foot in their mouth, who's also helped some folks. Um, those kinds of things are, are powerful. So we do that by sharing our stories. I'm not a huge fan of people who use YouTube um, or video clips in their speech. And that is maybe something that's going to upset some folks. Uh, But I think your story and your quotes are more powerful than other people's stories and other people's quotes. Um, And so I think that's a lot of where it starts is by sharing only our credibility and never sharing our process of how we earned that credibility. We are setting an unrealistic example for our audiences when we're relatable, we see ourselves in others. Or when someone is relatable, we can see ourselves in them. So it's interesting because you, you said a lot in the last few sentences. So I want to back up. I want to go back to that introduction because I agree with you. Sometimes people's introductions really have, you know, too many stats and numbers and accolades into them. Where I think some of the best ones are where people just sort of talk about how they're a human. For this podcast, I don't actually read bios. And I've had a few guests on this and other podcasts be like, no, my introduction sets the tone for who I am. And I'm like, yeah, we don't we don't read bios on on the podcast that I host. Instead, before we get started, I'm going to pull back the curtain. Not everybody knows this. Mm-hmm. I ask a question that if, if James, if you and I were, were sitting in a bar together and my friend joined us who you'd never met and we had a great time talking so much fun, James, that, that you decided to go by the next round. As soon as you're out of earshot, my friend says, James is awesome. But Tom, what does he do? And I asked the guest, how would I tell my friend what you do? in one or two sentences. And so what you heard at the beginning of this podcast, James didn't know how I was gonna introduce him. Right before we hit record, I asked him, how would you want me to tell my friend over a glass of wine or a beer or a cup of coffee, how would you want me to tell my friend who you are, human to human? And that's how we came up with the fact that he's this, he's that, he did this, he he's married to a professional speaker. These are things that aren't crafted bios. They're pieces of James is a human being and here's what he does Mm -hmm. and here's why what he does makes him more of a human being. And so I fully agree with you. So what should speakers do when crafting that intro that will be read? What should they do to make sure that it's just people talk? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think including a couple of your pieces of credibility is fine. But like I said, most of that's in your bio and they've probably already read it. Uh, I don't necessarily sit up my chair and get perked because someone's been featured in Time Magazine five times. Um, I'm not like, oh, I got to lock in here, right? <laughs> if you're not, if you're if you're not a captivating speaker, that your credibility may hold on to me for five minutes. But it's ultimately your relatability that brings me the way you bring me in to your story, and so that's why in the introductions. I think we have to be including some fun, random facts about ourselves. What's a random quirk? Uh, what's an embarrassing story? What's a, like things like that that just make people go, huh, all right, all right, cool. Maybe this guy's going to be all right, right? Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. I'm not looking to have whoever's reading the introduction. They're not a stand-up comedian, so I can't be <laughs> like I can't put timing in this thing. I can't put any of that. So it's not about littering it with jokes and stuff like that that you're entrusting with somebody else. Uh, but it is about how can you insert some random 
pieces about yourself that are like, oh, that's funny. It's more than uh, lives in Madison, Wisconsin with his partner, Jacob, and uh, their dog, Free Free. Um, right. Like it's got, it's got to be a little bit more than that to actually show a little bit of, you know, like insert a food quirk. Right. Like and he's the kind of guy who eats his, uh, his French fries before his burger because he hates cold French fries. Here comes up, James, or, you know, whatever, you know, that that kind of information. Well, it's funny you say this because recently coming back from the pandemic, I decided to because I've been doing all these introductions on podcasts, I decided to make my speaker introduction less formal and more. I don't know, quirky or whatever. And so it says some things. It talks about what I'm passionate about. It gives a little bit of, of what I'm going to be talking about there. And then the last word that the, the person who reads it says, and uh, when he was 21 years old, he was a five-day returning champion on the $25,000 pyramid. <laughs> and that little quirk, not what I talk about. It doesn't show up in my speech or not, not usually. And yet afterwards, people are so engaged and they want to know the story about, oh my gosh, you met Dick Clark or whatever. So taking this advice and throwing that thing in there, people then seem to like pay more attention. And afterwards, you know, they want to come up and find out more about you, about your French fry eating or, or whatever it is. So I think you're right. You're right on there. I think that's a good point. Mm -hmm. The other thing you talked about was people who either quote too much other people's studies or other people's work, or like you said, showing videos that aren't of something they did. It's something that is just off of YouTube that is interesting. What do you think, why do you think that cuts down on your relatability if you're showing other people's stuff? I think what it, it shows to me that you didn't necessarily take the time to come up with more arguments for why we are talking about matters. Instead, you're like, look what this guy said, or look what this woman said, or look what this human said. And for me, I mean, there, there are some incredible YouTube videos out there. I share YouTube videos, not in my speeches, but just in my daily life on social media and stuff like that. There's some great media content that is out there, but in this moment, you were not paid to get brought up on this stage to share somebody else's story. In this moment, you were paid to get up on the stage to share your expertise through your lens. And that's my own personal viewpoint. And there are probably certain examples where it's like, no, it's actually good that you shared so-and-so's story and whatnot. So I'm not completely saying never, um, but I think, you know, I'm shout out to Gandhi, shout out to Martin Luther King, shout, shout out to Thoreau, shout out to Emerson, shout out to all these incredible women that we quote as well. Your mother, Teresa's your Roosevelt's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These people are incredible, but your quotes also matter. And those people deserve to be quoted till the end of time. But it's our job as speakers to land the plane for folks. And if we can land that plane in a more realistic example, then they're going to be they're going to be able to see themselves in our messages more and apply them quicker as opposed to start to say, well, I'm not that person. So I could never I'm not that person. So I should I could I should I would, you know, those shaming type sentences. Instead, we have to it's our job to land the plane um, on some of these messages and therefore our stories make more sense to them. So that's actually a great segue to your second tip, and that is tell everyday stories. So let, let's go into that. What do you mean by everyday stories? What's an everyday story and, and, and what's not an everyday story? 
in my experience coming to influence a number of times and, and, and various chapter meetings and whatnot, we put a lot of emphasis, uh, particularly in the national speakers association on your signature story and our signature stories deserve time. Uh, feel, please tell me about the time that you served in the armed forces. Please tell me about your battle with cancer. Please tell me about how you uh, came back from uh, being a, a, in an oppressed population and how you're now teaching people. And thank you for teaching people. You don't have to do that. Um, but I'm grateful that you do. You're making us better. Please tell me the story about that relationship, that, et cetera, et cetera. These signature stories are very powerful. But I think back to the first speakers that I ever heard back in high school, probably through the D.A.R.E. program. Um, and it's some guy who crashed his car in a drunk driving accident and killed two of his friends. And very powerful story. Very grateful that he came and shared it. But it was too far away from my reality that I needed him to tell more everyday stories that it's like, here's some big thing that happened to me. And the shock and awe of it isn't necessarily a teaching moment. It's just shock and awe. And so by sharing some of those everyday stories, what's a time where your supervisor told you something that made you believe in yourself? Or what's a time where a supervisor told you something where maybe they gaslit you and they made you felt like you were crazy or that your ideas were terrible? What's a time where you slipped and fell in public? What's a time where uh, you said the wrong thing in your relationship and your intent was this, but your impact was that. And we can teach a powerful intent versus impact moment. Same thing with diversity, equity, inclusion conversations what's a time where you stepped in the crap and you said thing the wrong thing at the wrong time and didn't realize it but you learned from it how did you come back from it those kinds of moments are things that the people in your audience dealt with today dealt with yesterday and are immediately applicable they immediately see themselves in you and therefore attach themselves to your message and how and why they should listen to it so it's interesting because when I think about relatability, you're right. We do all have these stories that that either got us into the speaking business or or that somehow we've created around as we've grown our grown our career that are the even if they're about ourselves, they are the big signature once in a lifetime things. My you know in my family, my my youngest daughter who's now 20 jokes about the fact that you never would have become a speaker if I hadn't had to have had the entire top of my skull removed when I was an infant. We call it in the family, the Kate story. Mm -hmm. And it is a story that's not relatable because most people will never have their child's, you know, skull, the top part of it removed uh, and all that. And yet I think about that as I've matured over time, I don't tell that story as often because you know, our, our speaking times have gotten shorter. That's one of the things too, is it's kind of a long story. And so now it's like, you know, we do a lot of half hour keynotes mm -hmm. uh, instead of an hour. So I don't have time for the Kate story because it's nine minutes long. And so I can't do that necessarily. Uh, but I do tell a lot of stories about like a conversation that happened at the restaurant, mm -hmm. you know, that, that maybe happened on my way on the airplane, on my way to that conference. And it is funny. People do come up and say, oh my gosh, I had the same thing happen with a friend of mine, you know, when we were having a conversation. So I guess sometimes we forget in the speaking business that those, those little moments that we all have over soup dumplings or whatever it is yeah. are just as powerful as that major life event. So how do we identify those everyday stories and know that they're worthy 
of being told on stage. Yeah, for sure. And Tom, I had the privilege of hearing you speak a number of years ago before I even knew him. You taught me a little bit about what NSA was. You had just found out that you had gotten your CSP. Oh, yeah, we're that's standing right. I was <laughs> standing in a bar and you're like, I just got my CSP. I'm like, you said letters. Good for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do remember that conference because uh, it was the first time I ever met you, but I remember that conference because I got the text saying I had earned that yep. right before happy hour. So you might be the first, but you might know before my wife and kids that I earned I mean, I would, I would hope so. Yeah. I would, I would think I'm at that place. I've got to hear your story. Yeah. Thank you. Your Kate story. I've gotten to hear that, but you do a great job of bringing it back down and talking about at the time your, your talk was about, you know, send handwritten notes and the power of connection in that way and, and networking. And so you did a good job of bringing it back down, but I also love to hear what you're saying of where it's like, now I talk about these everyday moments of, I just had a conversation or I bombed last night in the standup set, or, you know, some of those kinds of things are so powerful and, how we find them is first recognizing that just because you don't have a signature story doesn't mean you're not going to be a good speaker. I don't have a signature story. And for the longest time I spoke for free because I didn't think I deserved to speak for money because I didn't start from the bottom. Now I'm here. Now let's be honest. I started from right around here and I'm still <laughs> right around here. Um, shout out to privilege. But still, the thing is, is that it's going back and thinking about what were some of those moments that made you believe in yourself or that made you question yourself in a negative way or in a positive way. It's all also coming back to that idea of so many people get on stage and they say, I started here and then I had an idea and I raised $18 billion in angel funding. And now I'm here and I sold my company for $3 trillion. They don't tell the story though. They don't tell the story of the sleepless nights. They don't tell the stories of the times where they got shot down of when they doubted themselves of when that person told them they were crazy of when those moments where they decided, you know what? No, this is it. I am going to plant my flag in this. And those are the everyday stories. Those are the moments. It's not just the, the cliche Instagram weight loss photos or, or fitness photos where it's like September 19th, 2002 to whatever, 2020, look at where I've gone. Yeah, but what happened in between there. That's how we really find our everyday stories. It's going back and thinking about the process um, and some of those moments, as opposed to constantly worrying about being seen as the hero or being seen as successful. A lot of times when we think about the, the hero's journey or the, just in general, our speeches, we're the protagonist and we want people to fall in love with us and they're not going to fall in love with us because of our success. They're going to fall in love with us because of our story of how we got to the success. And so that's what we got to share. So, you, you know, I'm listening to you talk and, and suddenly I'm thinking, you know, the world has changed a lot in the last 10 or, or, or 20 years. I think if we go back in time, speakers were expected to be that sage on the stage, if you will, mm -hmm. who had, you know, overcome something just insurmountable that none of us could relate to. And I think nowadays audiences want more of that peer to peer conversation than, than maybe audiences were expecting 20 years ago. So for people who've been in the business, you know, a long time, you know, do they need to shift the way they tell stories to be more relatable? Do you, do you agree with me that maybe society has changed and therefore what people want has changed and really these these little bite sized pieces of, hey, James is just a human being who puts his pants on one leg at a time. Is is that more relatable now and, and what audiences want now? And do you think it's a societal output? 
Yeah. You know, Tom, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell a bunch of people how to do their jobs. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad it's about time. Someone gave me a microphone for this. Um, No. (laughs) Yeah. Change everything, folks. You're screwed. No, Um, (laughs) no, I I think. Well, first off, it's it's recognizing um, how the world itself has changed. We are now a world that is aware of its mental health issues. Um, We are far more outspoken about them. And it is because strength to be it's we're so slowly moving away from vulnerability is weakness to vulnerability is strength right because if vulnerability is such a weakness and why is it so damn hard right it is easier to not ask for help than it is to ask for help it is easier to avoid and compartmentalize than it is to own and confront and people are recognizing the power of sharing those stories and those journeys, whether they're mental health related or uh, inequality related, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so it's also recognizing that the generations that are now becoming leaders in a lot of the companies that we have opportunities to work with or in the associations that we work with are a part of that. (laughs) The millennials, the Gen Z that we always made fun of them for being uh, like, you know, everybody gets a ribbon, right? Every this uh, 19th place ribbon for you as well, Mark, congratulations. Um, And, you know, we made fun of those folks. And now, um, and now they're hiring us. And now they're hiring us um, and they care more about authenticity and vulnerability. We have to give credit to Brene Brown um, for doing a lot of that work and a lot of of making it more mainstream to talk about our processes, not just our products. And I think that is a way of the world. I think a lot of what speaking used to be was Who's got the best word packaging? Who's got the best success stories? And and who's the most convincing on stage? And there are a lot of great speakers that we should look up to that did just that and crushed it and are still crushing it. What is also true is that, yes, Tom, the world is changing um, and we're allowed to talk about our emotions and people are tired of feeling the shame of what they are not and what they should be and just want to be met where they are at. Wow. I think that was pretty powerful, but I'm not going to end it there. I've got one more question. (laughs) When I introduced you, I talked about the fact that, you know, you speak about company culture, but specifically how curiosity creates community. And, and I love that. So let's talk about this idea of not just as a speaker, but as a human, why should we be more curious and how can speakers use that imp of curiosity to help build their business? Yeah, it's funny, Tom, if you look up the antonym of curious in the dictionary, you get uncurious. <laughs> uh, but if you look up the antonym of curiosity in the dictionary, you get apathy. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to work at a company of bunch of people who are apathetic towards the vision and the goals of that company. I also don't want to exist in a world where we are apathetic to the lives of other people, right? I don't want to walk around and like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that restaurant was fine. Yeah, this was fine, right? Like fine isn't good enough for me. Um, and so when it comes to being curious, when it comes to being curious in the role that it plays, we need to recognize that most of us are more interested in being right than what is right. And it's hurting us. And we, we know this because we spend a lot more time assuming than learning about each other. 
And so when we think about what that looks like in everyday life, we write people's stories before we've ever even heard about it. We are, we are in one little thing. You know this as, as a stand-up comic, Tom, you know the rules of comedy writing. And one of the rules of, of great comedy writers is, well, if that is true, then what else is true? And a great rule in comedy, because it takes us deeper and deeper into these absurd worlds and allows you to write second and third beats of your jokes that may or may not have happened, but are just freaking hysterical. Because what if that is the container that we're in in this moment? It's a great comedy rule, a terrible rule for interacting with others. But we do it all the time. We learn one piece of information about them and say, well, if that's true. I know what else is true. Right. Oh, you're wearing a red hat. If that's true. And I know what else is true. Oh, you got a coexist bumper sticker on the back of your Prius. If that's true, I know what else is true. Right. And so, um, sorry, I'm on a rant right now, but I'm getting fired up over here, but keep going, man. Keep going. This is speakernomics. Keep going. (laughs) But the thing is, um, is that we have to recognize the patterns that we are in with other people because a lot of those patterns aren't serving us. Most of those patterns deserve disruption. The person that you love at work, that when you see them and you're super excited about them um, and you want to bump into them and you're like, oh my God, I love seeing Rebecca. Rebecca's the best. We laugh. We talk about the shows we watch. We're both on the same fantasy football team. It's great. I love Rebecca. It's awesome. But then we also, on the other side of the office, we got Phil. <laughs> freaking phil all right and phil is this jerk who brings the energy down whenever he's around it feels very misunderstood no one's taking the time to get to know phil and every once in a while both of these patterns deserve to be disrupted because what if we knew one more piece of information about both of them would your fun relationship with rebecca get a little bit deeper too could you get a little closer to her and would you all of a sudden start to understand phil just a little bit more and give him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt right we we, we see this as a country because we see a certain population acting in a certain way and their lived experience is so different than our lived experience that we immediately say there's no way that they feel that way or could think like that. But what if it's true? What if there is their lived experience? What if we asked one more question? And that's uh, that's a lot of what I talk about is what if we asked one more question? Where could we get to? What more could you do before you offer advice? What if you asked one more question just to learn about that person's problem a little bit more? Yeah, that's what I talk about, brother. And I think it's something that I know it's made me a better human. And uh, I know you, but through your gift of, of being such a brilliant host, MC uh, and whatnot, it, it's something that you do, right? You ask one more question. Let me learn a little bit more before I pop off. Well, along that line, James, what's one thing you wish everybody knew about you? What's one more thing we all should know about James Robolata? What's one more thing you all should know about? Okay, wow, I'm coming with the heavy hitters over here. Um, <laughs> I am at my most confident when I am on stage. And so when people come up to me afterwards and they ask me, how do you get as confident as you are? I tell them you're seeing me at my peak, but for a lot of the times I'm questioning everything. Um, and I struggle with anxiety and there's some places where I wish that I believed the messages that I tell to so many for myself. But a lot of times I'm a pharmacist. I pass out the drugs, but I don't take them. Um, and so that is an area of growth of mine. And uh, so that's, that's just a, a piece of my humanity that I'll, I'll share with you all right now. 
Boy, we talked about the power of relatability, and I think you just landed that plane with something that a lot of people listening can totally relate to, because I think all of us in the speaking profession could use a little bit of taking our own medicine sometimes, because uh, I certainly understood what you just said, and I know everybody listening just nodded their head and said, that's probably me too. So, you know what, James, thank you so much for being a guest here on Speakernomics. Always a pleasure to spend time with you, whether it is with our sponsors, Din Tai Fung or not. Uh, <laughs> Just my favorite Chinese restaurant that I, I exposed I exposed James to a couple of years ago, and, and now he keeps going back. So I do, It's true. I can't get enough. Can't get enough. Uh, of, of the Chinese food are you, Tom. Thank you so much for having me, brother, and thank you for sharing your gift with us. Awesome. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. Do me a favor. Join us here every single week for more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how you can make more money and build a better business as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.